My name is Michael Dean Cohen. Last fall, I pled guilty in federal court to felonies for the benefit of, at the direction of, and in coordination with individual number one. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. Oh, isn't that interesting? Who knew? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD. In Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the world-famous Bradcast. Desi Doyen, are you okay? Are you seeing straight after all of those hours of Michael Cohen testimony today? Oh, I'm doing all right, but yeah, it's been a long day. Yeah, and a hell of an interesting day, uh, yes. actually. Perhaps more for us than for Michael Cohen. I don't know. As you may have heard, uh, Donald Trump's personal lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohen, testified on Wednesday in an open televised hearing before the now democratically controlled U.S. House Oversight Committee describing the boss for whom he worked for 10 years both before the uh, his presidential campaign and after he became president working as his personal lawyer. Last year, Cohen pleaded guilty to a number of crimes concerning his own personal finances and businesses, as well as lying to Congress about Trump's dealings with a plan to build a Trump Tower in Moscow and conspiracy felony charges regarding hush money payments that he made as directed by Donald Trump to adult film actress Stormy Daniels in order to keep her quiet just before the 2016 election about an affair that Trump is alleged to have had with her. Cohn's been cooperating with both the special counsel Robert Mueller and the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York since then. We'll be joined momentarily by our old friend Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Digby's Hullabaloo, 
to discuss all of this. But this uh, incredible opening statement, I want to play an extended clip from that in which Cohen describes Donald Trump as, quote, a racist, a con man and a cheat and offers detailed evidence to argue that Trump knew about the release of DNC documents on WikiLeaks that were said to have been hacked by Russia. Also, that he believes Donald Trump may have had information about the infamous June 2016 Trump Tower meeting with Russians offering dirt on Hillary Clinton that Trump says he had known nothing about. And about his racism, disparaging black people in private and uh, most damningly, perhaps how Trump, while in office after he became president, personally wrote checks to Cohen to reimburse him for the criminal campaign finance felony conspiracy to keep Stormy Daniels quiet before the election. Here's an extended portion of Cohen's opening statement before the U.S. House Oversight Committee on Wednesday. Thank you for inviting me here today. I have asked this committee to ensure that my family be protected from presidential threats and that the committee be sensitive to the questions pertaining to ongoing investigations. I thank you for your help and for your understanding. I am here under oath to correct the record, to answer the committee's questions truthfully, and to offer the American people what I know about President Trump. I recognize that some of you may doubt and attack me on my credibility. It is for this reason that I have incorporated into this opening statement documents that are irrefutable and demonstrate that the information you will hear is accurate and truthful. Never in a million years did I imagine when I accepted a job in 2007 to work for Donald Trump that he would one day run for the presidency to launch a campaign on a platform of hate and intolerance and actively win. I regret the day I said yes to Mr. Trump. I regret all the help and support I gave him along the way. I am ashamed of my own failings and publicly accepted responsibility for them by pleading guilty in the Southern District of New York. I am ashamed of my weakness and my misplaced loyalty, of the things I did for Mr. Trump in an effort to protect and promote him. I am ashamed that I chose to take part in concealing Mr. Trump's illicit acts rather than listening to my own conscience. I am ashamed because I know what Mr. Trump is. He is a racist, he is a con man, and he is a cheat. He was a presidential candidate who knew that Roger Stone was talking with Julian Assange about a WikiLeaks drop on Democratic National Committee emails. I am providing the committee today with several documents, and these include a copy of a check Mr. Trump wrote from his personal bank account after he became president to reimburse me for the hush money payments I made to cover up his affair with an adult film star and to prevent damage to his campaign. Copies of financial statements from 2011, 2012, and 2013 that he gave to such institutions such as Deutsche Bank. A copy of an article 
with Mr. Trump's handwriting on it that reported on the auction of a portrait of himself that he arranged for the bidder ahead of time and then reimbursed the bidder from the account of his nonprofit charitable foundation with the picture now hanging in one of his country clubs and copies of letters I wrote at Mr. Trump's direction that threatened his high school, colleges, and the college board not to release his grades or SAT scores. I hope my appearance here today, my guilty plea, and my work with law enforcement agencies are steps along a path of redemption that will restore faith in me and help this country understand our president better. The last time I appeared before Congress, I came to protect Mr. Trump. Today, I am here to tell the truth about Mr. Trump. I lied to Congress when Mr. Trump stopped negotiating the Moscow Tower project in Russia. I stated that we stopped negotiating in January of 2016. That was false. Our negotiations continued for months later during the campaign. Mr. Trump did not directly tell me to lie to Congress. That's not how he operates. In conversations we had during the campaign, at the same time I was actively negotiating in Russia for him, he would look me in the eye and tell me there's no Russian business and then go on to lie to the American people by saying the same thing. In his way, he was telling me to lie. There were at least a half a dozen times between the Iowa caucus in January of 2016 and the end of June when he would ask me, how's it going in Russia? Referring to the Moscow Tower project. You need to know that Mr. Trump's personal lawyers reviewed and edited my statement to Congress about the timing of the Moscow Tower negotiations before I gave it. So to be clear, Mr. Trump knew of and directed the Trump-Moscow negotiations throughout the campaign and lied about it. He lied about it because he never expected to win. He also lied about it because he stood to make hundreds of millions of dollars on the Moscow real estate project. And so I lied about it too. Because Mr. Trump had made clear to me, through his personal statements to me, that we both knew to be false, and through his lies to the country, that he wanted me to lie. And he made it clear to me, because his personal attorneys reviewed my statement before I gave it to Congress. Last fall, I pled guilty in federal court to felonies for the benefit of, at the direction of, and in coordination with individual number one. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. Sitting here today, it seems unbelievable that I was so mesmerized by Donald Trump that I was willing to do things for him that I knew were absolutely wrong. For that reason, I have come here to apologize to my family, to my government, and to the American people.
accordingly. Let me now tell you about Mr. Trump. I got to know him very well, working very closely with him for more than 10 years as his executive vice president and special counsel, and then as personal attorney when he became president. I wound up touting the Trump narrative for over a decade. That was my job. Always stay on message. Always defend. It monopolized my life. Over time, I saw his true character revealed. He is both good and bad, as do we all. But the bad far outweighs the good. And since taking office, he has become the worst version of himself. He is capable of behaving kindly, but he is not kind. He is capable of committing acts of generosity, but he is not generous. He is capable of being loyal, but he is fundamentally disloyal. Donald Trump is a man who ran for office to make his brand great, not to make our country great. He had no desire or intention to lead this nation, only to market himself and to build his wealth and power. Mr. Trump would often say, this campaign was going to be the greatest infomercial in political history. He never expected to win the primary. He never expected to win the general election. The campaign, for him, was always a marketing opportunity. Lying for Mr. Trump was normalized, and no one around him questioned it. In fairness, no one around him today questions it either. A lot of people have asked me about whether Mr. Trump knew about the release of the hacked documents, the Democratic National Committee emails, ahead of time. And the answer is yes. As I earlier stated, Mr. Trump knew from Roger Stone in advance about the WikiLeaks drop of emails. In July of 2016, days before the Democratic Convention, I was in Mr. Trump's office when his secretary announced that Roger Stone was on the phone. Mr. Trump put Mr. Stone on the speakerphone. Mr. Stone told Mr. Trump that he had just gotten off the phone with Julian Assange and that Mr. Assange told Mr. Stone that within a couple of days, there would be a massive dump of emails that would damage Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mr. Trump responded by stating to the effect wouldn't that be great? That was Michael Cohen, Trump's personal lawyer and fixer who worked closely with Donald Trump for some 10 years before pleading guilty to a number of federal crimes last year, uh, including a hush money payout to Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, adult film actress, to keep her quiet just before the 2016 election. Here's Cohn describing that initial payout and his involvement in it and most notably presenting evidence that Donald Trump and his son Don Jr. continued to personally write checks to Cohen to reimburse him for that federal campaign conspiracy crime for months after Donald Trump was already serving as president of the United States. Mr. Trump is a con man. He asked me to pay off an adult film star with whom he had an affair and to lie about it to his wife, which I did. And lying to the first lady is one of my biggest regrets because she is a kind, 
good person, and I respect her greatly, and she did not deserve that. And I'm giving the committee today a copy of the $130,000 wire transfer from me to Ms. Clifford's attorney during the closing days of the presidential campaign that was demanded by Ms. Clifford to maintain her silence about her affair with Mr. Trump. And this is exhibit four to my testimony. Mr. Trump directed me to use my own personal funds from a home equity line of credit to avoid any money being traced back to him that could negatively impact his campaign. And I did that too, without bothering to consider whether that was improper, much less whether it was the right thing to do or how would it impact me, my family, or the public. And I am going to jail in part because of my decision to help Mr. Trump hide that payment from the American people before they voted a few days later. As Exhibit 5A to my testimony shows, I am providing a copy of a $35,000 check that President Trump personally signed from his personal bank account on August 1st of 2017, when he was President of the United States, pursuant to the cover-up which was the basis of my guilty plea to reimburse me, the word used by Mr. Trump's TV lawyer for the illegal hush money I paid on his behalf. This $35,000 check was one of 11 check installments that was paid throughout the year while he was president. Other checks to reimburse me for the hush money payments were signed by Donald Trump Jr. and Alan Weisselberg. And see for exa that for example, 5B. The President of the United States thus wrote a personal check for the payment of hush money as part of a criminal scheme to violate campaign finance laws. And you can find the details of that scheme directed by Mr. Trump in the pleadings in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York. Ouch. That was Michael Cohen on Wednesday testifying before the U.S. House Oversight Committee. When we come back, the great Heather Digby Parton joins us to try to make sense of all of this today. What we've learned, what we didn't and, and how both Democrats and Republicans did during their questioning of Trump's former personal lawyer after an extraordinary day in the U.S. House of Representatives. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. In your testimony, uh, you have you said you bought some some checks. Is that right? Yes, sir. This uh, this one appears to be signed by Donald Trump himself. Is that his signature? That is Donald Trump's signature. So let me make sure I understand. Donald Trump wrote you a check out of his personal account 
while he was serving as President of the United States of America to reimburse you for hush money payments to Ms. Clifford. Is that what you are telling the American people today? Yes, Mr. Chairman. Oh, brother, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. That was... Uh, the uh, Democratic House Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings with Michael Cohen in the Oversight Committee on Wednesday in the U.S. House. Our coverage continues today of the testimony uh, there by uh, Trump's former personal lawyer and so-called fixer Michael Cohen in advance of his three-year prison sentence for crimes that he has admitted guilt to, to federal prosecutors, including a campaign finance felony conspiracy to pay off Stormy Daniels before the 2016 election to keep quiet about the affair that she is said to have had with Donald Trump. Uh, Today, in addition to a bunch of other revelations, Cohen says that the president personally reimbursed him for that criminal conspiracy uh, for months after, after taking office as president of the United States to discuss all of this, as we always like to do at uh, great and infamous moments in the presidency of one Donald J. Trump. We are joined to try and make sense of it all with our old friend uh, Heather Digby Parton. She is the much beloved longtime blogger known simply as Digby to many. She runs the Hullabaloo blog. She's a regular contributor at Salon.com and is a winner of the Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for having me, Brad. I hope you're uh, you're still awake. You're able to uh, see straight <laughs> after a long day. What about six or seven hours of testimony today? We played some extended excerpts from uh, Cohn's opening statement in the previous segment, and I, I think uh, and I, I will link to that to the text of that whole thing when we post tonight's show at bradblog.com. But, Heather, uh, after reading that statement last night, I felt, frankly, that it was, in one sense, really a literary masterwork in its construction. Uh, It included his profuse apologies for lying to Congress and his family, revelations about uh, Donald Trump, including documents in evidence to support those revelations regarding Trump's character, his alleged crimes both before and after he was elected president, and describing him as a, uh, a racist, a con man, and a cheat, and included even a direct-to-camera comment to the president himself saying, I find it ironic that you, Mr. President, are watching from Vietnam right now, where um, Donald Trump is uh, having his second summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. That after detailing how Trump had also been a draft dodger. So even before the Q&A, Heather, I thought those opening remarks were uh, just an incredible one hell of a presentation. Your thoughts on, on the opening statement for a start? I agree with you completely. And when those dropped last night, I was getting to ready to write my column for Salon, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't counting on that, right? I mean, I was just going to sort of preview what we thought he was going to say, and that came down, and it just took my breath away. Um, because here you have, really, I mean, this is one of those moments, and, and we've seen them in, in past uh, scandals, mm-hmm. right? When, when you see this testimony for somebody who is very close to whatever the event is that is at the center of whatever the scandal is, 
come forward and and testify before Congress and, and considering the, the massive um, you know seriousness of this particular scandal. I mean, it involves a president mm-hmm. conducting a, a wide range of criminal activities and also potentially betraying the country. Um, and, and we've never had anything like that before. This is the, <laughs> this is beyond anything anyone imagined. And there have been no public hearings. The last time we saw one was from uh, James Comey, mm-hmm. right after he was fired. And so it's been very strange, this weird vacuum. And this is, this is where the American people get to actually sort of have an intimate view from people on the inside. That's what these hearings are for. They bring people to testify under oath about what happened. And in Cohen's case... Um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. The narrative of that opening statement, which was, you know, it was it was almost poetic. Yeah. You know, the way he say he kept admitting over and over again his own culpability in these crimes and his own, you know, sense of almost self-loathing for what he had done. And he he would lay out something the president had done, and then he would. There was this line that he kept repeating throughout. You know, and yet I continued to work for him. I mean, it's like. I mean, what he was saying, and I think that this is maybe the most important thing to come out of it, is here is someone who basically joined Trump's cult when it was a small cult of personality mm-hmm. there in New York. He dev- threw himself into it, devoted himself to the, the master, the, the leader, uh, did everything that was required of him, and yet it destroyed him. And it destroyed him largely because the man himself threw him under the bus. I mean, he basically was prepared to let to let Cohen go down and take the blame for everything. And this whole thing, I mean, the rottenness at the center of this cult of personality around Donald Trump was laid out, exposed, and he looked in the eye of all these Republicans sitting there on that panel who were defending Trump and who were who were, you know, accusing him of being a liar and basically just, you know, blind, as he put it, even in, in testimony at one point, blindly following Donald Trump. It was a warning. He was saying to all these people, this this will happen to you, too. This yeah. is what happens if you follow this man. And it's almost like a warning to the country. Look, <laughs> you know, we have a problem. This guy is is a you know. It, it, what is it that Rick Wilson, that uh, that uh, Republican ex Republican strategist, read? You know, everything Trump touches, you know, yeah. turns to turns to garbage or something like that. In any yeah. case, it's like it's like this idea that there's just this such a rottenness surrounding this man on every level. And there was Donald, there was Michael Cohen testifying before the country, you know, saying, look, I was not a good guy. I went along with all this stuff. I was terrible. I did this, you know, did this and this and this. And and uh, and he was guiding it all every step of the way, and I didn't complain, and I continued to work for him. And looking at all those Republicans going, hey, yeah. get a load of your future. And, yeah, right in front of you. and, and he was saying that to them uh, quite directly. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but let me uh, play one of the exchanges here. Uh, where Cohen actually directly said at one point, you know, he, he seemed to cite all of these attacks on him uh, and his his uh, and and frankly the unapologetic defenses by the Republicans uh, on the committee of Donald Trump and sort of cite that as a warning uh, and saying, look at me, this is what happens to you. 
when you become mesmerized by the lies of of Trump's world. Here is uh, some of his statements on that. I'm responsible for your silliness because I did the same thing that you're doing now for 10 years. I protected Mr. Trump for 10 years. And the fact that you pull up a news article that has no value to it, and you want to use that as the premise for discrediting me, that I'm not the person that people called at 3 o'clock in the morning, would make you inaccurate. In actuality, it would make you a liar, which puts you into the same position that I am in. And I can only warn people, the more people that follow Mr. Trump, as I did blindly, are going to suffer the same consequences that I'm suffering. Look at what's happened to me. And I don't know, uh, I don't think the Republicans there uh, much cared, it seemed, because they continued to do those same things, those same attacks. And uh, Heather, even when they were attacking him, calling Michael Cohen a liar who doesn't like his country and who will is willing to say anything, it kind of sounded like they were... Uh, you know, talking about Donald Trump himself when they said, you're not credible, you're a known liar, you're a fake witness, etc., didn't it? It sure did. And in fact, at the very end of the hearing, the uh, chairman, uh, Representative Cummings, uh, actually, you know, introduced into the record the Washington Post, um, you know, uh, list of all the president's lies, you know. Yeah. (laughs) So, So he put it in there kind of as a contrast. I mean, look, I don't think, you know, the Republicans... You know their their point of view on this apparently was not to to deal very much at all with the substance of what Cohen was accusing the president of, and instead attacked Cohen's credibility, which didn't really help because all it does is draw attention to the fact that he mm-hmm. worked as an executive vice president of the Trump Organization for ten years. And it's kind of like you know, hey, yeah, it, it, go talk to your guy in the White House if if you've got a problem with that. Uh, so yeah. it, it it really wasn't a very good strategy, and by by failing to, you know, talk to about the actual substance of what Cohen was saying, you know, these charges are very very serious, and there are a number of them that Cohen brought out that are not going to go away. I mean, this there there are a couple that are really important. Well, let's and, talk you know, let's talk about some of those. Let me a detail yeah. just uh, back of the envelope list here of some of the crimes that were sort of detailed by. Cohen during his testimony today, campaign finance violations in that hush money payoff and uh, continuing payoffs in that conspiracy as president after he had uh, said after Donald Trump had said he was no longer involved in company business. That seems to me something that is clearly impeachable beyond a shadow of a doubt in that he was in office while he was doing that. And disguising those payments as legal retainers rather than reimbursements for this uh, illicit payoff. Uh, Also, he was told by Roger Stone that Donald Trump was told by Roger Stone about WikiLeaks emails before they were, were released publicly. That is not, to my knowledge, illegal unless Donald Trump lied about that in his written responses uh, uh, to the special counsel. Uh, it was noted at one point that Trump seems to have lied under oath. I'm not sure which testimony this was, that he didn't know a guy named Felix Sater 
who, who worked with Russian mobsters and then with Donald Trump on the same floor of Trump Tower uh, with Trump. And yet Trump said he wouldn't even be able to pick him out out of a lineup. One thing, you know, after another that are either crimes or potential crimes, what jumped out at you as the most noteworthy revelation, I guess, in uh, in Cohn's uh, testimony on Wednesday? Well, the first two you mentioned, they're both, I would say, equally noteworthy. Uh, I'll take the second one first. The Mm -hmm. one in which Cohen said he was sitting in Donald Trump's office when he got a call from Roger Stone. Just it was several, just a few days before the Democratic convention, Mm -hmm. and he was on speakerphone, and he says that Roger Stone told him that he'd just gotten off the phone with Julian Assange, the head of WikiLeaks, and that they were planning to drop a bunch of derogatory information about Hillary Clinton within the next few days. Mm-hmm. And Trump apparently responded by saying, oh, wouldn't that be great? And so, you know, both Roger Stone and Trump have, you know, obviously <laughs> they're saying that never happened, but, you know, they would. But again, um, not not illegal, Heather. If, no, even if no. that did happen in and of itself, uh, that's not illegal. No, right? what, what, no, it's not. But what it does do is it ties up a number of different um, threads in the Russia investigation. It most importantly, around Roger Stone. And it, Roger Stone was talking to Donald Trump throughout the, <laughs> the campaign. Now, that's important because everything that Roger Stone was doing, mm-hmm. if this can be tied to conversations he had with Donald Trump, and there are ways of, of verifying that that call took place, um, and there are people, including Trump's secretary, or I guess his, his personal assistant, Rona Graff, who's been with him for many, many years, yeah, a lot of a lot of people have their assistants on uh, stay on calls for right. on just to take notes. Or she, you know, the door might have been open. She might have heard about it. Or it may be that that um, Cohen or or Rona Graf or Roger uh, Stone himself mm-hmm. may have said something about this phone call. In any case, the fact is is that within a couple of days that actually happened. WikiLeaks did drop that. Um, so what that does is that it just sort of draws that whole part of the Russia investigation into the Oval Office, into the, you know, Trump's, Trump's office, own yeah. personal office right. where he was actually talking about this. We don't know if that means anything in and of itself, but, you know, conspiracies are you know, these webs where people don't necessarily know every aspect of the conspiracy. They just know one little piece of it. So that may be a clue about another piece. I think it's significant. Yeah. The other one, though... Uh, the one that you mentioned at first, in yeah. which Trump has been shown to have, uh, you know, it proven <laughs> to have been writing checks in the Oval Office, yeah. uh, presume or the residence of the White House, wherever he writes his checks, um, paying off ru- ru- um, uh, Michael, Michael Cohen, Cohen yeah. uh, for uh, actually reimbursing him for a payment that he had made on Trump's behalf mm-hmm. by taking out a mortgage <laughs> on his house because Cohen says he didn't want his wife to see it, um, and and paying his paying it himself in order to shield Trump from being exposed as making this this hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. Well, we knew all of that, but what we didn't know was that Trump himself was making these payments after he was president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I've watched a lot of the lawyers on TV. They're kind of going back and forth on what that means. Is that you know does that make him culpable in this campaign finance thing? Whatever. That'll be sorted out, and I presume that the Southern District of New York has a lot more information on that. They seem to have all of this that that Cohen was revealing uh, today. But what it does say is, look, Trump's 
stood at the front of the of Air Force One and claimed he knew nothing about these payments. He claimed that it had nothing to do with him. It has subsequently been revealed that, of course, he did. Now we know he was actually signing the checks. And by the way, we know that at least one of the checks was co-signed by his son, Donald Trump Jr., who is, was revealed today, as everyone suspected, of being executive two in the uh, mm-hmm. in the Michael Cohen indictment in the Southern District of New York. Which, so he's been drawn into this as well. Which and adds him to the conspiracy. And you had yes. mentioned conspiracy before. And just to underscore, these are not conspiracy theories. These are actual conspiracies right. <laughs> that Michael Cohen actually pled guilty to a campaign finance conspiracy. Uh, these other folks have been charged with you know conspiracy to defraud the United States and so forth. Uh, part of that. Cons- Conspiracy. Michael Cohen sort of uh, uh, referred to here that he was actually in uh, Donald Trump's office at one point when Don Jr. came in. It was just before the uh, the uh, so-called uh, the, the Trump Tower uh, meeting with the uh, Russians that in June, I guess, of 2016, that Trump continues to say he knew nothing about, just as he said, he knew nothing about payments to Stormy Daniels, even as we have now learned, apparently he was actually making them at the very time at that very time. Right. Dem- Democratic uh, Congresswoman Robin Kelly uh, pressed Cohn on the lengths that Trump went to essentially hide uh, these hush money payments to uh, Stormy Daniels and to keep them a secret from the public as you noted, uh, resulting in Cohen being forced to take out his own line of credit in order to pay for it. Here's a little bit of uh, Congresswoman uh, Kelly's uh, uh, conversation with Cohen. Did Mr. Trump know you were going through this process to hide the payment? Yes. Why not just use Mr. Trump's personal or company bank account to make the payment? Why was the distraction so important besides you not wanting your wife to know? What his concern was, was that there would be a check that has his very distinct signature onto it. And even after she cashed the check, all you need to do is make a photocopy of it, and it's kind of proof positive on exactly what took place. So here, he, the goal was to keep him far away from it as possible. Can anyone corroborate what you have shared with us? Absolutely. And that is? Keith Davidson, Alan Weisselberg, President Trump. You know, I just want to jump in really quick yeah. on this because I think it should be underscored that Cohen brought receipts, as the kids like to say. He brought the documentation and Republicans continued to try to discredit him and say, oh, you've pleaded guilty to lying. You've pleaded guilty to all these bad things. However, he had the documentation. I think that should stand for quite a bunch. You don't a have to believe him. Right. You shouldn't believe. As a matter of fact, I think he said uh, at various points throughout the testimony, don't believe me. I knew you wouldn't believe me. That's why I wanted to bring the, uh, the bring documents. the documentation, Heather. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that wasn't the, the only document he brought. He brought some financial statements, mm-hmm. which I think that is going to have some life way beyond this particular hearing. And this could go on for some time for Donald Trump, and not just in terms of the federal uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in New York, the Southern District, but the state uh, attorney general of New York. Because the, what it indicates and what, what Cohen was saying is here are, are examples of financial statements that Trump would submit for bank loans and insurance purposes, and they're fraudulent. Now, people go to jail for that. They really do. I mean, they, we had a real housewife go to jail, you know, from recently right. because she lied on a mortgage application. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if that is true, that these financial statements, and of course Trump's tax returns, which I give credit to uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez at the end when she, her questioning, she specifically went into that and said, you know, if we have, who do we talk to about getting the financial statements? Will the tax returns, you know, give us some information on this? And she seemed to be kind of homing in on that particular aspect of his testimony, which had been sort of glossed over. Uh, this is tremendously important because this is what I think gets to the meat of the Trump organization and and what was going on there and the kind of and we know that he committed fraud. I mean the the the, the New York Times it did a massive expose of the whole family's fraudulent enterprise and tax avoidance mm-hmm. system going back decades, but in more recent years. This kind of stuff will, will bring it right up to the present and what the Trump organization has been doing, and we know that it is fraudulent. And beyond just you know the, the suspicions about uh, money laundering or that sort of thing, which may very well turn up, but it's just you know this is garden variety fraud. And if he I, was lying to banks about getting bank loans, about what his companies were worth or what he was. And you know, I guess in this in one of the the, uh, the exhibits, this yeah. one of these financial statements, it actually starts talking apparently about brand value, right? Oh, please. I mean, that's a joke. <laughs> I, I can't believe any bank would, would see that and go, oh, okay, you know, whatever you say. But apparently, you know, he had a lot of trouble getting bank loans, except from one bank, Deutsche Bank, which seems to, you know, they, they've got some very dicey... they got uh, some splaining to do. Yeah, they got some splaining to do, too. But this was a very interesting thing, and I think that that is going to be something that, that they're going to take a much deeper look at, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, look, I just want to take one step back here for Mm-hmm. Second, and just remind people that the Republicans spent seven years investigating a land deal worth thirty thousand dollars in the nineteen seventies uh, uh, that Bill Clinton Bill and Clinton. his wife allegedly, you know, yeah. defrauded somebody over. It turned out that never happened, but they spent seventy million dollars on that thing, and in nineties nineteen nineties money. I don't know what that would be today, but more. And, uh, you know, so any any sort of, you know, caterwauling about the idea of, oh, we shouldn't go back into the past and it's wrong to investigate his past business activities. No. I'm sorry. The precedent is there. And this guy is obviously a criminal. And, you know, he was continuing his criminal activities while he is in office. He's doing it as we speak, as we saw with a copy of that check. That was, you know, that was exactly what, even if you wanted to toss out everything that happened before he became president for some reason, and of course we shouldn't, but, you know, even if you want to make the case, oh, this happened long before he was president, uh, oh, and that Russia stuff, that's entirely too complicated, uh, it's a hoax, it's a witch hunt, throw all of that stuff out, you're still left with a guy who is in the Oval Office actually committing crimes, actually writing checks to cover up a, a sexual affair and, more importantly, uh, trying to cover it up because he knew that it would affect his uh, his election, you know, paying off this woman just before the election. So you can throw out all of that other stuff and you still end up with impeachable uh, clearly impeachable crimes that, you know, if this was, of course, if this was a Democrat, the impeachment proceedings would have started long ago. And certainly under Bill Clinton, when you had an, an independent independent counsel statute that allowed uh, the, the counsel to make recommendations about whether a president had committed uh, impeachable offenses, that is not the case here with Robert Mueller. So in theory, he won't uh, say that this or that was an impeachable offense. But, uh, Heather, before I get to a break here, there were some also some other matters 
Well, actually, let me just respond to your tax thing. Yeah, it, it, Cone turned in, I think it was like three years of... Uh, of, uh, of of forms, uh, financial uh, information that uh, Trump had submitted to Deutsche Bank and others, I guess, as he was trying to get loans. It seems like uh, just putting that into evidence, as Michael Cohen did, now would allow House Oversight or anyone else to say, well, hmm, this is interesting. Let's see how this compares to Donald Trump's taxes. Now they have an excuse to actually yeah. subpoena his taxes, do they not? Uh, absolutely. And the fact that they've even dragged themselves, you know, dragged their feet on it so far is kind of disconcerting. It's because the head of the, what, uh, which committee is it? I can't remember what it mm-hmm. is. It's one of those, one of the longstanding uh, House committees, and his name is uh, Representative Neal. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he's dragging his feet on this, and he's kind of a, you know, one of these sort of old-fashioned Democrats that, you know, I don't know, maybe he needs to be put out to pasture, too. Um, but that, that it's getting more and more obvious, and maybe he was being strategic and waiting for something like this, some good, you know, solid reason to subpoena those tax returns. And I don't even think they have to subpoena them. I think all they have to do is request them. Uh, yeah, request them from the IRS. I don't think yeah. they have. I don't think it's actually even a, a you know a judicial process. I think they just have the right to do it. So hopefully they will do that. I mean, it's vitally important. I think that 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 we we get to see that and. You know, it, it, it brings us back to the whole, you know, the whole idea of transparency around Trump and his business and what he's been doing. You know, at this point, I, a new poll just came out today that says 68% of voters want to see um, the Mueller report when he does it. They want to see mm-hmm. it in, in its entirety. And interestingly enough, that includes 59% of Republicans, which kind of surprised me. Well, let's... Me- let me let me take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about okay. Republicans and their response right. here. I got I'm running along. Let me get to a quick break. We'll talk about the Republicans' response. We'll talk about uh, actually how the Democrats did here. Uh, there was some stuff I wish they would have asked about, but they didn't. We'll talk about that and more with Heather Digby Parton right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. I just find it interesting, sir, that between yourself and your colleagues, that not one question so far since I'm here has been asked about President Trump. That's actually why I thought I was coming today. Not to, not to confess the mistakes that I've made. I've already done that, and I'll do it again every time you ask me about taxes, or mistakes. Yes, I made my mistakes. I'll say it now again. And I'm going to pay the ultimate price. 
but I'm not here today and the American people don't care about my taxes. They want to know what it is that I know about Mr. Trump and not one question so far has been asked about Mr. Trump. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our special coverage of uh, Michael Cohen, Trump's uh, former personal lawyer and fixer, now soon to be jailbird uh, and his testimony in the uh, U.S. House Oversight Committee today. We're speaking with Heather Digby Parton of Salon. Uh, Heather, Republicans went after uh, Cohen after his credibility right out of the box. Uh, he did plead guilty to lying to Congress and about his own finances, and he's uh, and he is going to prison for it. Uh, let me play one example of the Republican Oversight Committee. Uh, ranking member Jim Jordan of Ohio trying to twist Cohen's words to suggest that uh, Cohen was lying again uh, before the committee and or uh, that he was calling out federal prosecutors uh, at the Southern District of New York uh, as liars. Michael Cohen was was not putting up with it. His remorse is non-existent. He just debated a member of Congress saying, I really didn't do anything wrong with the false bank things that that I'm guilty of and going to prison for. Mr. Jordan, that's not that's not what I said. And you know that that's not what I said. I said I pled guilty and I take responsibility for my actions. Shame on you, Mr. Jordan. Mr. Chairman, what I said, Mr. Chairman, not what I said. What I said is. I took responsibility and I take responsibility. What I was doing is explaining to the gentleman that his facts are inaccurate. I still, I take responsibility for my mistakes. All right, I am remorseful. I pled guilty and I am going to be, again, going to prison. Uh, that was uh, Michael Cohen uh, not taking any guff, it seems to me. Uh, Heather, and I want to get Desi, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Did uh, did Republicans here make any headway at harming Michael Cohen's credibility in their at times over the top attacks on on Cohen? Your, your thoughts, Heather? Well, you know, I'm not sure what they were trying to do. I mean, it, it, we talked about this earlier, the idea that, you know, every time you attack him, in this way, you're kind of attacking Trump because he's the guy who employed him all those years and who, you know, it, it calls into question everything that, that that Trump has said because he, you know, he's the guy who we would never hear heard of Michael Cohen if it weren't for Donald Trump. And, you know, more than that, I mean, there were some things. When Cohen actually gave a pretty slick performance, I thought. Uh, I, I was surprised. I've always kind of seen him as kind of a dope. So yes. he was much more poised and, frankly, more intelligent and articulate than I expected. Yeah. And, and according to many of the observers, the legal observers that I saw during the breaks on TV talking about it, you know, they were going, look, you know, he did a good job of establishing his credibility. I mean, first of all, in this situation, because, first of all, he has everything to lose. He, he is taking a huge risk that if he lies... Um, you know, he could. They could be adding stuff on to sure. him, charging him with new crimes. I mean, he's going to be in jail. He has nothing really to gain at this point by lying. It's not like Manafort, mm -hmm. where he still thinks he might get a pardon. Right? I mean, this is not something. Uh, Michael Cohen's off the pardon list. I think uh, uh, and Cohen that. said, "Yeah, he said he wouldn't <laughs> want one. He wouldn't yeah, accept he one he anyway accept if one. he was right. offered one." Yeah. So you know, so there's not a lot for Michael Cohen to gain by you know 
coming up and, you know, volunteering to do this and mm-hmm. laying himself out. More importantly, what in his testimony, they gave him a lot of chances to really nail Trump on some really juicy, sexy stuff, right? I mean, they, they were going to, you know, they asked him about Prague, and he said he'd never been there. They asked him about money laundering. He said he didn't really know much about that. He asked him about Trump's love child and mm-hmm. whether he'd ever paid for an abortion and if there were any more tapes and all that stuff. And Trump, and, and Cohen was very, you know, he did not go way out, you know, as nope. they say, over his skis. He he basically said, hey, I don't know about that. And he said, I don't have any proof that there was collusion with Russians. I have my suspicions, but I can't sit here and tell you that I know that. He- All of that lends credibility to what he's saying, because those were, if he's a, you know, if he was an abject liar looking for some, I don't know, egotistical, you know, sort of advantage, it, it, he, those are the kind of things that would be easy to say and very difficult for Trump to disprove. And, and, and he even really he, make headlines. And he even strongly uh, defended Donald Trump a, uh, on on several points, saying yeah. that uh, you know there was a rumor that he had hit Melania. Oh, and that an there elevator, was a tape of an elevator. And he said, somewhere. "No, there's no evidence of that whatsoever." And he said, "I don't believe." that Donald Trump would ever do any such right. thing. Yeah, so he was very good, as I agree with you, uh, uh, Heather, that he was really good about creating a credible uh, front today. And, and I think that the Republicans did not land any punches on him, although I have to give them credit for trying and being very consistent about that. You know, they were basically flooding the zone with every attempt they could to attack Cohen's credibility. Um, but... This problem with this icy is that uh, folks who watch Fox News and yeah. right wing media will not see any of that credible testimony. They'll only see, oh, look how great the Republicans were at attacking Cohen. So they may not get that information. Oh, yeah. Fox Fox News alerts on the iPhone were only about things that in some way uh, vindicated Donald Trump. Right. I think one of the alerts they sent out was uh, Michael Cohen says he was never in Prague. That was it. <laughs> that was the only sort of things that they were putting out uh, very quickly. I got uh, two more questions I want to try to hit, and I've got about two minutes to do it. So uh, Congressman Matt Gates on Tuesday on Twitter uh, uh, it was an extraordinarily uh, blatant attempt, it seemed, at witness tampering uh, and in- intimidation. Uh, he tweeted, uh, Michael Cohn, do your wife and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? Maybe tonight would be a good time for that chat. I wonder if she'll remain faithful when you're in prison. She's about to learn a lot. Well, Gates is not uh, on the oversight committee. He nonetheless showed up at the at, and, and sat in the room, I think, for the entire testimony. No one asked Michael Cohen any of this stuff about girlfriends. Um, what do you make of, of Gates's comments there? Seems like a federal crime, uh, at least according to a number of experts, to try to uh, intimidate a witness on the eve of testimony. I just don't see how it could be anything else, because as it turns out, they didn't say anything about this, as you point out. So it had to be something to try and rattle, you know, Mm -hmm. Cohen or get him to lay off of whatever it was that they thought he was going to say. I mean, it was really stunning. I I, I couldn't believe it. It's something right out of a mob movie, as far (laughs) as I could tell. And what we did find out today, the Florida Bar Association is investigating. At least they're doing that much. And there is some talk, and I think one of the, and I can't remember who it was, one of the, the Democratic Congress, congressional reps on the panel, on the committee, 
said was going to refer this to the ethics committee. I mean, this is not acceptable. It really isn't. No. It's an outrageous thing that he that did. was some serious thuggery. And good, I'm glad that Florida. He's he's the uh, congressman from the first district in Florida. I didn't know he was an attorney. If I didn't either. If he's an attorney <laughs> and the bar association is looking into it, holy cow! Should he have known better? All right, last uh, thought here. Uh, one of the questions I wished that one of the Democrats had asked, but I don't think anyone did, uh, was why have, uh, did Trump and everybody involved with him lie continuously whenever they're asked about Russia by anybody about anything? Uh, that's sort of one of the central mysteries still in all of this. A lot of the things that they have lied about weren't actually illegal, but they continue to lie about Russia-related things. I could offer a, a benign explanation for that behavior, um, but uh, many obviously have offered insidious explanations. Uh, I think the Dems missed an opportunity to not raise that, uh, or, Heather, was that because it was something that, uh, was was out of bounds here uh, because it was still being looked at by the special counsel. Do you have any idea? Well, it may have been that <clears throat> that you know there people were afraid to kind of walk too closely to that particular case, and they and they did kind of walk on it, walk toward it very very lightly. But it's also true that I think I know what what Cohen would have said because he said it about himself, which is you don't have to tell you know trump doesn't tell people what to say they just know because it, you know you can have a picture of trump mm -hmm. in the room with all these people saying exactly what he said to to cohen i had nothing to do with russia there's no russia and looking him in the eye like and, hypnotizing you know, these, him yeah. right and all these yeah. lawyers uh, out there saying well you know these prosecute former prosecutors and, and current prosecutors are saying yeah well that's what mob bosses do yep. they don't ever say it they don't have to Right. Everybody knows that they're supposed to lie, right? I mean, they just they just know because yeah. this is what the guy's doing. So it may just be that simple that they're lying because they know that they're supposed to lie. And and also, I think the Democrats probably you know are waiting to uh, you know maybe behind closed doors some of those uh, conversations with Cohen may go into that a little bit more. I, apply on that wall. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I I think that uh, the bottom line here is that what. Uh, what what uh, Michael Cohen dumped into the House Oversight Committee is going to continue reverberating uh, for quite a while now that there is actual oversight that seems to be happening in the U.S. Congress again. Heather Digby-Parton, uh, we will be talking to you again uh, soon and more and more, I suspect, <laughs> as, uh, as all of this finally gains some speed and we're finally yeah. seeing some oversight. Uh, really appreciate you joining us today after a long day of watching uh, <laughs> hearings. Uh, you can find Heather's work, of course, at Salon.com, as well as her own blog, uh, Digby's uh, Hullabaloo, which you can find at digbysblog.blogspot.com. And as ever, find, follow, and share her on the Twitters at Digby56. Digby, really appreciate it. Talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, got to run. My thanks to our producer, yeah. Desi Doyen. Thank you to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.